This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, we watched Heathers. And it was picked by... Wait, hold on. <clears throat> wow. Mouth is really dry. Let me you get something sh- to drink. You should have something to drink. Here. Why is my drink blue? It's, um, it's blue Gatorade. Welcome back to another episode of Honey, You Should Watch This. Uh, how you doing, Greg? I am just super peachy. Thank you for asking. Are you? Of course I am. Why wouldn't I be? How are you now? <laughs> Good and you. <laughs> wrong podcast. I know. Wrong podcast. <laughs> wrong podcast. We have been uh, binge watching Letterkenny whenever we can. So It's fun. Give it a whirl. Yeah. Lots of fun. Yep. Lots of fun. But... This this week this podcast is about great um, movies and stuff. What, 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 whatever do you mean? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, mm. I don't know. Go ahead. Well, before we get into this week's pick, which was my pick for you, um, and you weren't thrilled about it, which is Heather's. Well, don't give it away. People need to listen so they can hear. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, That's screwing okay. up. No, you're not screwing up. Yes, you picked Heathers for us I this did. week. I did. I picked Heathers. Um, but before we get into that, um, I wanted to say a couple of things um, about our last episode, which was Velocipaster. And that was a fun episode. That was a good episode. Yeah. Um, number one, um, we said in the last episode that uh, Sarah, on her second watching, um, pretty much figured out that the dinosaur half of our Velocipaster Doug was female and she sent us a photo of why she thinks that is so I have put that up on our Instagram account and our Facebook I don't and think you it can took go see a whole lot itself. of deducting to figure that out <laughs> once you see the photo folks you'll understand oh you will understand the other thing is is when I was listening to the episode it dawned on me um, that I, there was a, a question that I could have asked for I have questions um, so I'm going to pose that now. Okay. And that is, uh, they allude to that when the pastor, Doug, turns into the Velocipaster dinosaur, man he eats... Man of the claw. You two sound like the guy on Inspector Gadget when you do that. That's freaking hysterical. Um, that he eats his who he's attacking um and you know famously there's always like one arm left um my question is is when doug reverts back into his human form has he already digested said person is he trying to digest it how much does the dinosaur chew you know does he just like sit on the toilet and a hand pops out what's going on let's be honest they didn't think far enough Ahead, they don't. They don't know. But, they didn't but count on me. Here's my answer. <laughs> I have. I have two answers. Okay. The first answer is that he eats the the person. Okay. And 
everything's fine. He turns back into the di- to, to the to the pastor. But the next time that he turns into the Velociraptor, the first thing he has to do is poop. <laughs> That's the first thing. <laughs> oh, one minute. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going to kill him. Did anybody bring any toilet paper? Okay. The second one is that he eats the person and just has a real bad poop the next morning. It's, 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 only, it's only two things as a, as a person. Now, that might be bad. He might have to see the doctor, maybe start taking yeah. some Metamucil. I don't know. We are not meant to digest bones, I do not think. At all. No, no. But I, 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 think, I think I'm going to go with option number one first. So when he turns into the dinosaur, he got to find a bathroom. Every time. Right quick. What is going on? I don't know. What Every time. Every Just time. keep rolling. All right. No, I'm like, are are we in a department store? Felt like it. Are we in an elevator? <laughs> okay, so um, now let's let's get to, get to Heather's. All right. And I believe that you have a question for me. Why did you have me watch this? I had you watch this uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, first, uh, first off, is that we did um, two prior episodes. That were um, one an instant cult classic and one cut of the dead. Okay. Um, one a soon to be B movie classic in Velocipaster. So Heather's um, being a dark comedy did did not do well in the box office, but I'll leave that to your you for more details. But it did become a cult classic um, with a little bit of life to it, and. Uh, there's not many people that don't know uh, or have heard, haven't heard of Heather's. Right. I had I had heard of Heather's. I had never watched it because I wasn't interested. And I will say it's quite the feat to know that uh, know about a movie for 31 years and really know nothing about the movie. Yeah, I, yeah. I was I was straight up spoiler free. Right, this. right up on the level with Casablanca. A lot of people know the lines from Casablanca, but they haven't seen the movie. Yeah, fair um, enough. I, but as far as quality is concerned, not Casablanca. Uh, but uh, so I figured that this would kind of maybe disagree. Ra- <laughs> <laughs> um, so this would kind of round out, maybe take us out of that the cult movies for a little while. Okay. Um, so I figured this was a nice transition piece because it does have um, bigger star, bigger name stars. Um, so it it does kind of it's cult, but it's also a little bit mainstream. Right. Um, the the other thing was um, it's just. Um, Again, it's got it's got more life to it. I mean, just as early as I think 2018 is when the West, the London West End production of Heather's ended. So, uh, as far as the the musical, um, it did have a little bit of life as a TV show. Um, its fate is up in the air. Um, they haven't officially canceled it, but they haven't exactly said when season two is going to come out. So, okay. So this has got some life to it. So I figured this works, right? It works. It works. That's the purpose of this podcast. All right. So to make me watch garbage. Oh no, 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 I didn't say that. Dim's fighting words. Yeah, no. Um okay. So what did you think this was going to be about since you said you did not know anything about this movie other than that existed? I thought this was like um gonna be like a like a teenage type revenge movie where you know, she got screwed over and she would enlist. I, th- I thought she was the bad guy in this. I don't know why. I just, you know, 
make shit up for for thirty one years and eventually you, <laughs> you convince yourself of something. Uh, I knew I knew what it was about. I knew that they were basically killing high school player kill, or uh, students. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how or why. I didn't really. That's it. That's that's all. I knew. I just knew it was a dark a dark comedy. That's that's really all I knew. Okay, and so after you watched it, did it meet your expectations? What did you uh, What did you think? I mean, I really didn't care for it. Yeah, um, it's. I I feel that I don't get satires the way you're supposed to get satires. I think satire has a very unique niche for people. Uh, it's. I, I understand it and I appreciate it. And once I understand satire, I appreciate it more. I just don't think I catch it on the first go around because I, I, I'm watching a movie that that I'm watching because that's what they're trying to tell me. Not that they're veiling that they're trying to tell me about something else. You know what, you know what I mean? I mean, like, like if I watch an action movie with Schwarzenegger in it, I know it's going to be ridiculous, so I can suspend the disp- I can, you know, suspend belief and all that happiness. But this was, but you feel like it's, you know, even as ridiculous as a John Hughes movie is, you understand that he's trying to get a point across, and that point is, you know what I mean. So I'm yeah. not—I'm not the greatest. I, I don't catch satire. I catch parody real well, but mm-hmm. I just don't—I I don't know well, if it's just like parody can be a bit more obvious. Yeah, yes, it is more obvious, and you understand that watching a parody that they are making fun of something. Like, if you believe anything they say on South Park, you're silly because that's just straight parody, for sure. But. It's the satire thing. I just I don't grasp it all the time. Well, I think you caught on uh, about the time of the football players' funeral when they're in the coffins with the their football helmets on their heads. You looked at me and said, "Is this supposed to be a satire?" So you, yeah, you got it. So it took me half the movie. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm nothing if not quick. <laughs> when I first saw this comedy, I did not see it in the theaters. Um, I s- <laughs> Duh, <laughs> nobody <No>. did. <laughs> Some people did, but yeah, not like everybody. So I, I saw this as a rental, so I probably saw it, I want to say probably about 89 or 90. It came out in 89. Uh, okay, so 90, Okay. Um, I have it down here as 1988. That's why I said 89. So. Okay. Um, so I definitely, I, I think the, one of the reasons I liked it is because it was so different than what we had been fed in the cinema Throughout the 80s. It definitely was that, right. for sure. Um, we were coming off of, you know, Reaganomics, um, the boon of the 80s, the the time of the preppy, um, and all those John Hughes films. Right. Um, that I couldn't quite relate to. I don't think there's... I was not a big fan of, of Breakfast Club or, or anything like that. Um, I did... I think I went to go see Pretty in Pink. I think that's the only one, only one that I really saw that I actually went to the theater for. Uh, but so it was different. You you definitely knew it was different. It was definitely the anti John Hughes movie. Yes. Um, so that's kind of why I liked it. Um, I did like Winona Ryder, um, yeah, although she is not a hundred percent the good guy in this. Um, she's not a hundred percent the bad guy either. Uh, so it was. I found it quirky. Um, I didn't find um, Christian Slater's impression or channeling of Jack Nicholson as annoying back then. It was kind of more novel. 
it kind of it kind of ruined his character for me to be honest with you i didn't really um you know what it didn't it didn't factor as heavy for me this this time around it didn't feel as obvious and maybe that's just because jack nicholson really hasn't been in a in a big movie for a while that i've seen gotcha so if this had come out you know or if we had done this after i'd seen the departed or something maybe yeah um this this was released march 31st 1989 1989 um but i hadn't seen this for a while and uh acting in it not as good as i remembered um did this movie super you oh the super me um no not to the extent that the super supered you <laughs> semantics <laughs> you thought it did and and what the reason i'm asking that for anybody listening is we did the super with joe pesci and i remembered it being a lot better than it actually was and and that's what i'm asking do you remember this being do you do you remember it being better than what it, what you think it is now i thought that as a comedy, it was funnier than what I remembered it as. Not to say that it, I, I still didn't find parts of it funny. Uh, I remembered the acting being a little bit better, which I did not think it was that great this time around. It was very uneven. Mm-hmm. What I did notice this time around, simply because I, you know, I wasn't really looking for it, but I, what I did notice this time around was the production. Um, a lot of the color symbolism... Um, and how they use that, how they use little set pieces to kind of tell the story. Um, those little details are what I re- what I caught in this gotcha. viewing of it. Do you think Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that we watch a movie like The Super or this when we're in a certain period in our life, and then we come to the per- a period we're in now, and it resonates with us differently? And since it doesn't hit home with us because it's not meaningful to us at that moment, we realize it's just average. You know, like when you're a kid and you really liked a, an action movie because mm-hmm. your favorite character's in it, and then as an adult you watch it and like, oh my God, that was a pile of garbage. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. I think, t- yeah, context um, and experience have a lot to do with how we view a movie. Okay. Um, when I first saw it, I was probably, what, my sophomore year of college. So I just got out of high school, so I'm not viewing it as a high schooler, so okay. to speak. Um, but I am closer to it. As an adult, I'm definitely looking at it much differently from an adult's perspective. So that's part of it. Um, yeah, I think some of it is, you know, you have an affinity for certain actors when you're younger than when you're older. Uh, so, yeah, that plays into it, too. Okay. You know, definitely would have more of a crush on Christian Slater back then than now. Oh, me too. Yeah. I, oh, I, I figured. Duh. I figured. So why don't you give us the info on the movie and we'll start uh, dissecting it. Yeah, let me synopsisize this thing too and there will be spoilers, people. There will be spoilers. So Heathers is a 1989 dark comedy slash satire. Um, All the students at Westerberg High are dying to become part of the popular clique known as the Heathers. But Veronica is killing to get out. Veronica is part of the most popular clique in high school, as I said, known as the Heathers, which are made up of Heather McNamara, who is a head cheerleader, Heather Duke, who is a little bit bratty and bulimic, and Heather Chandler, who is the mega bayach of the group. Veronica has grown weary of the other girl's cruel behavior and longs to rekindle her old friendships pre-click 
with the less popular Betty Flynn. One night, Heather Chandler brings Veronica along to a college party, and Heather gets drunk and refuses the creepy advances of her college date. When confronted by Chandler, she throws up on her shoes. Veronica's told in no uncertain terms that by Monday, she will be socially dead. When Veronica and her new boyfriend, J.D., J.D. is the new guy in town, mysterious, bit of a rebel. That's who the Eagles were singing about. <laughs> Not a desperado or rebel. The new kid in town. Oh, new oh, kid. Oh, there you go. Jesus. Well, how did I miss that? Okay. All right. So you haven't had enough wine. All right. Well, I'm getting there. When Veronica and her new boyfriend, J.D., um, confront the click leader... Um, and try to get her sick on a concocted hangover cure as revenge, the two accidentally, and I'm going to say that with tongue firmly planted in cheek, poison her instead. Veronica has a real talent for forgery, so they write a suicide note and make it appear like suicide. But it makes the feared and hated Chandler now more revered than ever. After that, uh, the big men on campus football players, Kurt and Ram, uh, want to go on a double date with Heather McNamara and Veronica. Um, after the two guys drunkenly cow tip a cow, so much fun, uh, they want to get their rocks off. Uh, Veronica does not comply. Poor Heather Chandler has a much darker fate uh but she ditches them because jd comes along and saves the day but the next day the football players decide that spread rumors about her um in a of a very sexual nature and jd devises a plan to embarrass them by knocking them out and making it look like the two jocks were having an illicit affair with each other that also ends up in a double homicide J.D. soon realizes that J.D. is intentionally killing the students he does not like, so she races to stop him while clashing with the clique's new leader, Heather Duke. The film stars Winona Ryder as Veronica Sawyer, Christian Slater as Jason J.D. Dean, Shannon Doherty as Heather Duke, Lisa Ann Falk as Heather McNamara, Kim Walker as Heather Chandler, Lance Felton as Kurt, and I'm going to really trip over this name, so I apologize up at front. Patrick Labarto as yeah. Ram. Oh, no. the K, Yeah, the K is silent. There is no K, but there is an X. Renee Estevis as Betty Finn and Carrie Lynn as Martha Dumptruck at Dunstock. It is directed by Michael Lehman, and the screenplay is by Daniel Waters. All right. Yeah. Dive into this bitch. Oh yeah. So okay. let's let's talk about the satire first and get this conversation out of the way. Okay. Um, so you say that sometimes you don't get it, but I, I want to get your take on what you thought this was jabbing at. This this was making fun of high school cliques. It was making fun of peer pressure and and uh, people that you know in high school picking on people and being mean to people because they're popular and the other person isn't. It's just social, not not social classes, but social classes. You know, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, you know, we, we're, we're, we're hot, 
and we have we money, call, you not. so we can make fun of the, the the computer guys or the girls that are overweight, or and we're jocks, and we're on the football team, so we can make fun of the guys that don't play football. That that's that's what the it was. Social stratification. It, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, the the caste system, for lack of a better word. Okay, okay. So basically, the director it has said that it's a satire about all sorts of things. Um, they are not trying to satirize teenage suicide. Uh, he said the movie is about the general perception of teenagers and the speed at which the community is able to believe that the murders in the movies were suicides. It's a revenge fantasy. And basically they said we were looking at the John Hughes films saying this is bullshit. Uh, the movies are fun. We like them, but we didn't think they really represented the truly cruel nature of interpersonal behavior in high school. When I look at this film, kind of looking back between between what we saw in the theaters with the John Hughes, which were more light, you know, mm-hmm. um, definitely um, not quite in touch, um, did feature these more or less highly privileged people um, with parents that were slightly out of touch. Slightly, you, yeah. slightly is an under is a overstatement. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, understatement. Sorry. And then and then I reflect on you know the after school specials that were shoved down our throats between the seventies and the eighties as well, mm-hmm. which tackled the more weighty topics that they have intentionally put in here, basically as is. Right, okay. they aren't color coding it. They are are not color. What was that? What am I sugar, trying to say? Sugar, sugar coding it. it. Thank you. Um, they're they are putting it right out there in Heather's. Um but those after school specials were very much ham fisted and not good. They did what they could do with what they had. Right. And I think they caused more like one of the things that they're saying now about the Netflix show Thirteen Reasons Why is um when you're dealing with younger adolescent to teenage populations, you're you they are still not grasping the fact that something like suicide is completely permanent. And although the point of these shows is to say this is wrong, don't do it, it it can if someone is predisposed to that kind of depression, I make them idol uh, you know, idealize right it. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I also think that we look back on our after school specials. And we have to acknowledge and remember that those were lower budget shows. Oh yeah, at the time, uh, you, you didn't. They didn't have. They didn't have the best writers. You also had a lot of different things that you had to deal with with the censors back then too. There was mm-hmm. a lot of things that you couldn't talk about or say or show. And it was the afternoon. And, and it was yeah. the afternoon. So you 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 know you kind of having to dig a ditch with a with a plastic spoon there. So uh, yeah, they were bad, but. Right. They were they were trying to do what they did. So you're right. They they were not good, but you know I, I think I buy the satire of them saying that it was about making fun of the caste system. I don't buy the satire of parents believing that it's um a suicide so quick. I think what they're trying to say is like the hysteria of it all. Um, you know, one of, one oh my God, she's gone. Oh, <laughs> no, oh, no, it's, it's not, no, it's, 
um, let, let's let's take for example, um, there were a couple really high profi- uh, profile kidnappings in the eighties. Yes, there were. Um, Adam, who's the guy that West? The, not Adam? <laughs> Adam the, Wee. the 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 guy who did the television show to, yeah. to catch a catch a predator. No, uh, no um, yeah, yeah. You, you know who I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, the, the Code little, Adam. Yeah, the little boy that ended up they with dead in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Um so there was that and there was a, a couple other was a mystery where this kid was just taken off the street. They don't know where he was. Um there's a lot of conspiracy theories about that. But in the wake of that, there were uh, you know, a ton of McGruff, the crime dog PSAs that made you think that everywhere you looked there was someone just swiping kids off the corner. Or the satanic panic of the 80s and and things like that. So, again, uh, this is also media, too, because the media comes into play in Heathers as well, where it's they get so swept up in the idea that somebody like Heather Chandler, who's very privileged and she's pretty, and some of the artifacts that they put around the, the set and in, in as far as set dressings, She's not stupid. No. Um, would do this, uh, get people kind of swept up in it, and it can sweep up a community. Um, and that the par- you know, the parents or the adults in the situation would easily buy in to the fact that young people would be doing this. Okay. That's, I think, basically the, the point that they were trying to get across. It's kind of the community swept up that the murder that has been posed as a suicide nobody questions and it gets more ridiculous you know as the movie goes on yeah i mean i mean meh i i, I see what you're saying but uh, adam walsh was the young boy's name adam walsh thank you you're welcome that's cool. what i'm here for thank you so daniel waters who wrote the script um and I believe this was really his first major screenplay. Okay. Um, had very high ambitions when he wrote this because he really wanted this to be, to get the, get the script to Stanley Kubrick. He wanted this to be a Kubrick film. Hard pass. <laughs> I, 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 it would be interesting. It would be long. Um, so when he wrote the script... He said it was 196 pages at first. So that would have made it a three-hour film. And he really wanted this to be Stanley Kubrick's teen film. That coming out of my mouth just sounds so ridiculous. It comes out of anybody's mouth. Sounds ridiculous. Stanley Kubrick's teen film. I, I mean, I guess. Um, and he knows that because in the, in the interview that I read, and I'll post the link um, in the show notes, he says, you can't say I wasn't highfalutin and pretentious from the get-go. But there's a lot of things, and we can talk about this later, that, that do speak to uh, Kubrick's style. Right. And how he worked and how the, the production was done. Okay. Okay. So what was your overall impression of our main group, the Heathers? <laughs> <laughs> Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so so we talked about this, and I never, I never dealt with this. 
Okay, this obviously right. is a, is something that was di- that was aimed at girls. Okay, and mm-hmm. you you said you had a different opinion on it. When I was in high school, I wanted to be friends with everybody. That's just kind of how I am. I want to be friends with everybody, and if I find out I don't like you, then I don't want to hang out with you. But that's where it ends. I'll let's be friends. Uh, let's let's just call it quits, and I'm done. I don't need to be mean to you. I don't need to whatever. But on the other hand, I'm not just going to walk around belittling people and shitting on them because they're not my friend. That's that's how I was in high school. I was I was a very open book. Mm-hmm. You're my friend, and if you're not my friend, you're not my friend. I don't give a shit. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't hurt my feelings. Now, if I didn't have any friends, maybe that would have been different. But I really, I had so many different types of people that were my friends. I never really closed that door on anybody. So I didn't relate to them the way you did. Mm-hmm. You obviously had a little bit different situation. I did. Um, I I think growing up in the era that I did. Um, and I can't speak to the millennial experience, but uh, girls weren't really into sports as much, right? And, which is the ultimate ground for socialization with boys when when we were younger, right? Okay. You, you learned rules. You knew you learned how to get along. You learned how to have conflict and then walk away from it, mm-hmm. um, leave it on the field, so to speak. Am, am I right or am I wrong? No, you, I'm not... no you're kind of there. Yeah. Okay. Um, but not not all guys were sports either. I mean, no. I had a lot of friends who didn't do anything with sports, didn't like sports. Right, right. But guys, boys were, were treated a little bit differently, right? Because it was, you don't fight unless you have to fight, right? Or <laughs> guys could get away with a certain standard of things where girls had to be polite. Okay. A lot. Um, which I mean, I'm not sure what school you went to, but that wasn't how it was at my school because there was some serious bitches. I'm not saying that they <laughs> <laughs> weren't bitches, um, but what I am saying is that there are different expectations of girls when they're little. So when they, especially in the 70s, and in the 70s we also were kind of our our parents were just uh, our not our parents our our mothers were maybe starting to get in the workforce too. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't that kind of structure and it's it does it is different i think with girls girls tend to not be as aggressive on the whole okay as guys uh so it's very subversive in terms of if there is an an issue um so a lot of it is you know somebody doesn't fall in line with whoever the alpha is in the group um, usually leads to being shunned, usually leads to more passive-aggressive forms right. um, of bullying, so to speak. Well, it, you, with girls, it usually is passive-aggressive. Most, mm-hmm. most With women, it's passive-aggressive. I mean, not to say it didn't get physical. I be, remember being bullied in, in middle school and being pushed and, you know, kind of attacked, went alone kind of a thing. Yeah, that, that, see, that sucks. And... See, uh, yeah, well, you know. You See, I didn't deal with that because if I got happens. pushed, if I got pushed, you got pushed back. But I was always fortunate because I am not a. St- but I wasn't taught to fight. No, I know. I, I was taught that if you get, you, you, <laughs> what is <laughs> what does Adam Sandler say? Uh, you fuck with me, you get fucked with. <laughs> uh, it w- I mean, that's just how it was. My, yeah. I, I was not supposed to throw the first punch, but right. if. if if it was warranted right. and I came home and said, well, he was pushing me around and I popped him in the nose. My father never punished me for that. Yeah. And I, and I also think that 
um, back then and, and, and to, to certain degrees now, women don't back, didn't back each other, um, especially when it, you still felt like you were ha having to hold your own against members of the opposite sex, older adults, things like that. Women tend to turn on each other, which is not a good thing. Um, it's getting better, but that's just the way that they dealt. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm, you know, it's, it is, it is a little bit different and yes, I can kind of understand it. Um, looking back on it as an adult, um, I look at these girls saying that they're privileged and they're probably a lot of it with Heather Chandler probably began at home. Right. right. She did not feel like she, maybe she was worth anything at home. So she had to kind of exert her worth. Okay. Um, a lot of things that they say that Heather Chandler said, you know, we, when we are introduced to her um, in the beginning, it's kind of a fantasy sequence with all the Heathers playing croquet and, you know, aiming their croquet balls at Veronica's head. Right. And she's buried in the dirt up to her neck. Um, but then you see her in school, knowing it's a dream sequence, um, that she's talking about how Heather says that she teaches people real life. And if you can't hack it, if you're not weak enough to hack it, I'm going to teach you how to handle the tough things. Okay. Right. Um, you would have to think that she's had to have heard that at home. True. Did anyone teach her how to drink drain cleaner? No. Ah, see, that's a shame because that would have been that would have been some real life shit she could have used. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so you get the the idea of the click um, when you're when you're introduced to them. Um, obviously, Heather is the alpha. Um, uh, Duke is kind of more of the lackey than some of the others. The others still get pushed around, but they you get McNamara, um, and we'll talk about the colors of them, right? Heather. Heather Duke is. Let's just do that. Yeah. Let's just talk about the colors. Okay. Let's talk about the colors. I, I, I think it's a good. I think it's a yeah. good spot. Um, the the girls are basically color coded, <laughs> much like your files at work. It's like a box of Lucky Charms. <laughs> <laughs> the girls um, each have their signature color. So Heather McNamara, uh, I mean Heather du uh, Chandler. God, I can't get them straight either. Uh, Heather Chandler, who is the alpha, is red. Because red is a very very powerful color. Um, we have Heather Duke, who is green, and that's the Shannon Doherty character. And she is wavering somewhere between being a sycophant, but pushing back a little bit when she's because she does get she gets the brunt of Heather Chandler's abuse. She does. Um, you know. They're in a cafeteria full of tables, yet it's Heather Duke that has to bend over so Veronica can write a forge a note um, from the linebacker to um, Martha Dunstock, who they call Martha Dump Truck, just because they want to pull a prank on her. Or Heather Mac uh, Duke wants to play a, a prank on her. You have Heather McNamara, who is the, um, the head cheerleader. Um, a little bit of... What is... A pushover? Can we say pushover? I think so. Um, and she's yellow, so kind of a weaker color. Um, and then you have Veronica, who is blue, who is going to end up clashing with Heather McNamara, who is red. Right. 
And, you know, when you have symbolism of color and you see it a lot, especially in in movies today, you see every every freaking movie poster, I think you've got like a, some kind of red-blue cra- clashing. Yeah, you do. So, so Avengers Civil War, big one there, right? Red yes. versus blue. Mm-hmm. Um, Harley Quinn is a red versus uh, red versus blue, so maybe the both sides of her personality. Yep. Um, so it's kind of foreshadowed in the beginning, just through this whole color theory, that it is going to be Heather Chandler versus Veronica Sawyer. I I think so. Yes, I, th- I think you've got it one hundred percent on the on the money there, yeah. and and I think that they they let you know that with the color schemes, right. Right, and you had said something about um, Heather Heather Duke's green obviously being bile, and so I don't think it's a it, it's a it's, it does change it's not a, a little bit yeah, yeah it's not a coincidence that she's bulimic in the beginning of the movie, um, but it's also a color that you associate with jealousy. Yes, for for sure. Um, they they have them set up like that, and I also like. See, this is why I could never be a writer. I could I could write probably if I had to sit down and write a script, I could write a script like for an action movie or something and it would be good, but I couldn't put all the little happy the happiness things in it. And I, I even though this movie I kind of gave it a meh at the beginning, I will say there's a lot of good things about this movie and the more you talk about it, the more you understand them. Having them in the colors, I did not notice that till we started talking about it. Uh, and then it kind of it just never it just never clicked. Right. The first time you watch a movie, you're like, okay, what's going to happen? What's this guy doing? What's he saying? What? Well, you, mm-hmm. you're focused on things like that. Um, Green Heather, yes, was super jealous and green until mm-hmm. Red Heather died. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm calling them by their colors because I can't remember their last names. Red Heather, he- Yellow Heather, Red right. Heather, Yellow Heather. No, no, <laughs> the Human Torch was denied a home loan. <laughs> So green, she's she's like just she, I mean literally if every time she'd turned around if Red Heather had thrown sand in Green Heather's face they could have not gotten the point across to us more. Oh yeah, uh, like you said in the in the opening scene, mm-hmm. the second scene in the in the cafeteria, there's tables everywhere. She makes her bend over so she can ride on her back. Yeah, and when they're in the bathroom together, and are she, you putting on weight? It, you know, yeah, just little, yeah, little stupid things, and she feels like crap. Now, what they did was they made her green change a little bit after Red yeah. Heather died. Yeah, and I had never noticed that before. I I had heard people talking about you know the the heathers and their color because um, it surprised me. Because after um, we get the death of the queen bee, they have a scene where they're trying to do like an all hands school assembly to try to let everybody have this outpouring of emotion, and Heather comes up to Veronica and. I'm like, is that yellow or is that green? And it's kind of, it was like a... a I, I said it was a bile color. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, puce? Is that maybe? Yeah, maybe that's it. Somewhere a little bit of a, like a, a, a green-yellow combination. And I thought that's interesting because she's not, everybody always just assumes that she just wanted to, t- she just immediately took over Chandler if they remember it. But it's not. She's slowly... Her color kind of fades, and then, because you've got that color, and then a little bit later in the movie, she's almost in like a, a celery kind of a green. It's almost white, almost like a honey mustard type color, almost. Well, that's that was that's when you yeah. first see her. So you're like, is she trying to like move into McNamara's position, thinking that you know? <laughs> she doesn't really start wearing the red until after JD 
uh, yeah. pr- provokes her and and, and gives her the, the power provoke is, yeah, yeah provokes isn't the right word um he plays her basically is what he does oh yeah he plays her he hard. plays yeah. a lot of people in this movie yes he does um except jack nicholson he does not play jack nicholson <laughs> he tried <laughs> yeah um yeah he's a little bit of a sociopath yeah those those things that they did were really neat. I mean, they had all the little Easter eggs about, um, you know, when uh, Red Heather does drink the liquid, the Drano, mm-hmm. and she falls through the table. Uh, right. I did not know this until I started doing the research, but it was it was very ad- it was very adamant's not the word I'm looking for. Sorry, my words just escape me sometimes. It was very in the forefront. It was obvious. It was very yeah. Wow, what the fuck? <laughs> it was very obvious that, that they had. It's very, very weak. It's okay. very weak. Uh-huh. I had problems remembering Ray Charles' name today. It's not the vodka, I promise you. <laughs> it's a very it's very obvious that they have certain things on the glass table that she falls through. And right. then when you do the research, you find out that it's a book written by a woman who killed herself. Yeah, the, it was the Cliff's Notes to the Bell Jar. Right. Um, by Sylvia Plath, who, right. who killed herself. So it's those those little things that they do they do they do very well, mm-hmm. um, and and I can't even say that the movie isn't done very well. I just think that it might not be. I don't think it's that type of movie that people go, oh my god, if you've seen Heather's, you have to see it. I think that might have been what did it in in the theaters. Plus, it was you know at that time. But we'll, we'll get to that. I liked. Um, I, I don't. I there wasn't a lot of character development in the movie. The characters were all pretty kind of one note. The girls were still kind of the same. The mm-hmm. only the only person that really changed that much at all was uh, Green Heather, and she went from the doormat to the person wiping their feet on the doormat. Right, but I I think that had she now that she if she had to go someplace else, would she still be in that? I think she was very no, but she yeah. she was in that position here, which right. is all that matters, right? And then Veronica, well, Veronica, Veronica's difficult because people want to look at her as the protagonist of the film, and she's complicit in a lot of parts. Now she redeems herself; she's probably the one who's most worthy of of or able to kind of change through this film, right? Well, she doesn't like him at the beginning. She doesn't like him. Oh, the girls? No. No. She, she doesn't I like mean, her friends. She, no. She's, write, she's writing in her book and saying stuff, and she gets you know frustrated when she has to get up and, and move and stuff like that. It's obvious she doesn't like him. So she's probably not super angry that Red Heather's dead. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was looking to kill no. the two. No. Now, those, now, there's four people that die in the movie. Who's the fourth? There are three people who die in the movie. There are okay. three people who die in the movie and two people who, act, who actually try to commit suicide. Okay. And the body count was four because JD dies at the end. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting about JD. Okay, okay. so that's okay. Yeah. I remember. I, I again, hard time remembering stuff. They said the body count was four, and I knew that it was Red Heather, and then then the two football players, right? Ram who and, also wear red. Ram, Ram and, and Kurt. Kurt. Right. And then they. I couldn't remember the fourth. So she she isn't really a part of killing Red Heather. She is, but she's the one who said, let's just make her throw up, okay? Right. And then and then she covered it up because she didn't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And she really wasn't a part in killing Ram and, golly, the boyfriend, the other guy. Kurt. Ram and Kurt, because he tricked her into that, saying that he was going to use the Ike Luger bullets, yeah. right? Which means I'm lying. She, they were just going to scare him because she was angry at them because... They had were spread rumors about her saying that she basically blew them both at the same time. Yeah, but part of me thinks that because one of the things that they say about her or they it gets exposed about her um, through the dialogue is that 
ha- Veronica is smart, right? She's got a very, very high smart. high IQ. Um, she could have gone to high school in the sixth grade. They just her parents didn't want to do that because they didn't want her to be socially awkward. Doesn't she say something in the movie about that's it? If that happens, there's no way I'm going to like Stanford or Princeton. Or doesn't she say that uh, at one point? Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm. Um, they're gonna be. I'm gonna be going to San Quentin versus Stanford or something I think like so. that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So she is very smart, but. And and I know this is way before the age of us being able to just Google anything on you know, mm-hmm. um, but I have a very hard time believing her her willingness to believe him. Yeah, when he he sets up these things that you know you're you're that this this bullet, which is she saw what the bullets look like was not going to kill somebody. Um, you know, for somebody very smart, that's very stupid. And, you know, well, maybe it's between, his charm. There's a difference between you know, smart and gullible and street smart. And or, maybe maybe she yeah. just wanted to believe him because or her willingness, they just had sex. Or, well, or willing. <laughs> <laughs> or willingness. Yeah, you know, it could be the hots. You know, it could be that yeah, she's, she's kind of enamored with him. But I also think that there's a part of him that she really wants to be able to be, which is that nihilistic screw you guys, I'm just going to do what I want. Um, I can agree with that. F the consequences kind of a, a thing as well. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about Heather Chandler because although she is not a nice person mm-hmm. in this film, um, you do see her conflict, which is very rare for an 80s film. Usually in an 80s film when you see the bitchy rich girl, she's just the bitchy rich girl. Yeah. Right? There's no... It, very few examples of that rich girl having some reflection or or other side of herself. Right. So I think the them going to the college party um, is very telling because she you see her as somebody more vulnerable. Right. She's not the queen bee in this situation. She's with older guys who are probably stronger than her. Um, so she does get pressured into oral sex with her date. Right. Um, but then you see her in the bathroom, spit, basically yeah. rinse, rinsing her mouth out, and then she spits at herself in the mirror. She spits at yeah. herself in the mirror. Um, she is in a all red dress, um, and then foreshadowing that the bathroom is all blue. Um, when she does get mad at Veronica, it's because her her date's friend is pissed off because he's not getting any because Veronica doesn't want anything to do with him. Right. Um, I'm sure it's not because he's a total bore. Because <laughs> he's a douche. Um, and she's mad. And part, you know, part of you has to, to consider she's probably mad because if she had to do it, then God damn it, Veronica has to do it. Right. right? So no, I agree. She's, you know, I think she's a bit jealous of Veronica's defiant streak because there's probably something in here her and i think that's probably i I don't i don't know how i want to say it it's kind of not i don't want to say it's her comeuppance for her being so mean in the cafeteria because her whole thing in the cafeteria was she's got this note that she wants written because she wants to make martha dunstock think that one of the football players likes her Mm -hmm. um just to embarrass her right 
and there's no reason for it. Veronica's kind of kind of like, there's no reason for this. She hasn't done anything to you. She's no threat to you. Why is, you know what I mean? So why would somebody do something like that other than the fact that they're in pain and they want to inflict pain on somebody else? And they also needed the peop- the moviegoers to know that uh, Veronica was able to basically forge anybody's handwriting. Right, yeah. So, and which is a very important plot point. Yes. Um, so... Now, what, what should have happened was somebody should have told Red Heather, look, Veronica's not going to have to give that guy a blowy because she's a star. <laughs> and she's only 16. You are, <laughs> yeah, and lied lied about her age to get the part, didn't she? I don't think she lied about her age to get the no, part. One of the, one of the actresses told, the, told him that she was 18 when she was 23 to get the part. I don't think it was Shannon Joherty. I think it was, I think it was Heather, the Red Heather. Oh, who was twenty three? Yeah, she the was, one that was older was was I think Heather McNamara. Okay, she yeah. was she was twenty three and told them she was eighteen. Oh wow! Yeah, she lied. Yeah, you can she tell Mila, she's older. She Mila Kunistam. <laughs> um. So, you know, that's something too. Is I think I I like the fact about this movie that even though you've got her as the the bad one, the bully, that you see that other more vulnerable side of her. Right. So when she dies, you're kind of like, well, she didn't really deserve to die, <laughs> but well, none of them deserve no. to die. No. Well, no, I guess not. But no. they're, I mean, they're not. None of them are good people. Kurt oh and, no, no. Kurt yeah. and Ram are the worst. They're bullies. They're, they're straight up. They're, they're straight rapists. Up, they're straight up bully <laughs> rapists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're dead gay sons. <laughs> Oh God! Um, so you know that's that's kind of what we got. Then we've got JD, right? Who is all in black, all the time. Um, this is pre Columbine, so we really can't say it's that. Um, it's more gunslinger, if you look at it in the context of the time. Yeah. Um, and he's definitely a sociopath, and he is set up for the beginning for the audience to know that he is not. Uh, probably gonna be a good influence on Veronica or anybody else. Uh, yeah, um, pulling a gun—the first major scene that he's in. Right. Um. So that's. Listen, he didn't do anything that bad. All he did was ruin a couple pair of pants. <laughs> yeah, that's a great conversation between all the Heather's when they talk about it, because basically he's pulling the gun out. And shooting blanks at the two jocks because the two jocks are jealous that he's been talking to Veronica and they feel like they need to exert, you know. Right. Piss, piss all over their territory or whatever. Agreed. Okay. So that's our main cast. Um, you know, we have the some of the, the, the more bullied. Um, so you don't really get a lot from Martha Dunstock. Um, she's... Got maybe one line in the whole movie, and it's at the end. Uh, when they did cast her, they wanted they told the casting agent that they wanted someone who is overweight, and they kept sen- sending people who were maybe slightly plump, but not overweight. And they basically had to push back and say, no, this is what we want. Yeah, um, fair enough. I, and I can see why they do that. Mm-hmm. And then the, you also have um, Veronica's old friend, Betty. Betty Finn. Yes. Um, and it's interesting that it's not Betty that she's reconnecting with at the end. That it's that it's Martha. Yeah, probably 
probably because you realized that she had did she had she did try to kill herself in the movie. She walked out into traffic. She pinned a note to her chest and walked out into traffic. She's probably realizing now that her and JD's consequence actions have had consequences on other people, and is trying to you know in her own way of trying to make right. it up to to Martha. I would imagine. Well, I also think you get a very telling line from Betty because she accidentally bumps into Betty um, and Heather Chandler, Red Heather is not very happy that she, Veronica ends up talking to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she basically said, I'm sorry I missed your birthday party. And Betty's like, oh no, your mom told me you had a date. I'd probably give up on my own birthday party for a date. So I think that that could probably lean to that if Betty had the opportunity, she'd probably just be the same as a Heather Duke. Yep. Right in, right in, slip right in. Right, exactly. Um, so these kids do bad things, um, from bullying to straight up rape. Sniffing glue. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they uh, the the two football players are they pretty much think they're they're are uh, bulletproof. Yeah. That they can't do anything. Well, they're wrong. seniors. Yeah. They drink a lot of milk. A lot of milk. Lot oh of my milk. God. There is so many cartons of carnation milk in that cafeteria scene. I would imagine that probably got paid some money by the Dairy Foundation of the United States of or, whatever. Or carnation. Or carnation or somebody, yeah, because they, they had milk everywhere. Uh they're they're not nice. They're they're typical to me, they're typical jocks from the the eighties. You know, they they right. I think they kinda nailed it. Right. Well, what I think when you when you look at this movie is, um, well, first of all, it's pretty bold because when you have that scene where Heather McNamara and Heather uh, Veronica are on the date, the double date with the two of them, um, after the cow tipping scene, you see Heather McNamara on the ground with with Ram on top of her, and she's struggling. So it's very clearly this is not a consensual thing oh, that's yeah. going on. Um, and as they pull back, kind of dolly the camera back uh, to show that Veronica has kind of gone up the hill, over the fence and up the hill to get away from Kurt, who is also drunk and struggling to get over the fence because he's trying to get to Veronica to do the same thing, uh, that it's out of focus, but it's still in frame. Yep. Um, and that that was kind of for the time, you know, like putting it right out there. Yeah, that was right? rough. Yeah. It, it was rough. It was very, very rough. But when you think about it and you think about some of the other things that have been in very popular 80s films that don't resonate well today, um, the one thing that I can think of is Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. You know that scene in the moonwalk? Yep. Um, where she thinks it's her jock boyfriend and it's the nerd that kind of, goes down on the on the, the cheerleader. I mean that's that's not consensual because you don't know who that is. Correct. Um so it's you know what I mean but they make that look like that's a you know not a I don't want to say cool thing cuz I don't think that that really hits it's, it. It's it's a it's just a plot twist that get to, just they're trying in that those movies they're trying to make you 
be happy for the person that they're getting what they wanted. They're just not getting it in a way that would be socially acceptable. I mean, you know, Sixteen Candles does it. Yep. Um, oh, big time. Yeah. Yep. And there's uh, there's another one that does it off the top of my head. I can't remember right. what it is. Another John Hughes movie. So how's that really any different than what you're seeing? That's it, like, you're, you're putting it right out there. You're, you're not, but yeah. I mean, even in Revenge of the Nerds, you don't see her struggling, trying to get away. Yes, it's not consensual in Revenge of the Nerds, but she's also okay with it. Yeah, but that's, I see, to me that's worse because it's portraying like, it's okay, guys. Oh, I'm not saying it's, it's, I'm not saying I mean? it's right. They, Where that is like, this is not okay. Yeah, but that was also 1984, 85. Things were viewed a lot differently than, than they are well, now. Well, but it, it doesn't change the fact that it's not right. I never said that. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying you are. Right. I'm just uh, but saying it's that for just, emphasis. They, you know, <laughs> they, they, you're, you're right. It's, it, but this, this was the one that showed you that what's going on isn't a good thing, and it's not a good thing strictly because of what's happening. It's not right. How it's happening, or how, right. or which camera we're showing it to you through. They're mm-hmm. saying that this girl's getting raped, or is not having sex with someone that she currently wants to be having sex with, whether she's got a smile on her face or not it's not it's not okay so yeah 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 so i think this is a little bit more honest oh uh, yeah uh, well it's a satire they usually are right right and uncomfortable <laughs> satires are usually uncomfortable i was never uncomfortable really i mean <laughs> I, I had the i had the chair leaned back and my feet were propped up so it was <laughs> it was okay cat was on your lap though cat wasn't on my lap <laughs> pressing on your stomach um the other thing that kind of strikes me here before we move on is, is again, much like the other films that we were talking about, these kids are privileged. Of course they are. And a lot of the stuff that they do that is wrong is probably born out of that privilege. Yep. And whether it's entitlement, whether it's boredom, um, whether it's not being given proper limits that's oh, for, for for sure right and it's kind of it kind of reminds me of the conversation that we had when we were talking about gone girl right they have the luxury of all those things the entitlement um so yes these are problems and these are real problems as far as bullying and 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 everything else, all the other bad things that they were showing in this right um but it is also a, a privileged kind of problem I don't know. I don't want to sound callous, but that's just kind of how yeah, that's not being callous. That's across. how that that's how they portrayed it. Yeah. I so. mean, they they all had designer clothes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had cars. There wasn't a lot of kids in high school that had cars in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Some did. Quite a few did, but not. It wasn't like today where it's like I'm sixteen. Where's my Corvette? Mm-hmm. Um, they lived in nice homes. Right. They had nice things. Right. You know, I mean, your parents had money to buy your cheerleader outfits, and 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 you were going to college parties. You obviously, you obviously had money. It, it, that's exactly that's exactly what he was getting at. Mm-hmm. He was getting at the fact that, and, and you know what, uh, Martha probably didn't. And um, Becky was that her old friend's name? Betty. Betty. She probably didn't. We never saw where she lived or anything, but we never saw them at anybody else's house except Veronica. So yeah, of course that's what he was yeah, going after. We also see her playing croquet later um, with Veronica. At um, Veronica's house. Yeah, at Veronica's house. Okay. Um, 
So, I mean, she's, I think maybe she's somewhere in the middle, but I, I think on the whole, that school probably didn't have anybody that's, you know, having real, real it, it looked like a pretty financial yeah. struggles and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of that whole thing where teenagers kind of try to assimilate adult into adulthood. Um, so the social structures kind of just kind of appear yeah. um, because of parental influence and then them just trying to find their place. Well, there's also something else that I was thinking about today that we had not talked about. Um, was there any black people in that school? I didn't see a one. Did you? I don't. Did any black people have a speaking part in that movie? I didn't see any. So, yeah, maybe that's what he's talking about. Yeah, I think so. I mean, most of your John Hughes films didn't really have. Oh no! Yeah, that is. In as fact, well. about the only non-white person was Long Duck Dong, and it doesn't really get any more racial than that. Oh yeah, let's yeah, definitely. No more Yankee, my cranky. <laughs> I mean, I've said that before, but to be fair, to be fair, I don't have anything I can follow that up with. We say we take a break. I think that's a good idea. All right. Hello there. Do you like movies but feel overwhelmed by the avalanche of titles available every week in the theaters and on streaming services? Do you struggle with justifying the increasing cost of movies at the theater or whether to pick up another streaming service? Well, I have a resource for you. One Movie Punch. Your movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies. One movie per day, every day. We track the theaters, streaming services, and the occasional physical release to find the best movies currently available. We watch every film, then distill it into a short three to five minute review and publish a daily podcast. And now with year two, we've gone spoiler free for all movies within the last three years and bringing on a team of reviewers with brand new perspectives and selections. Want more information? Head over to www.onemoviepunch.com to subscribe to the daily podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Movie Punch and Facebook at www.facebook.com slash One Movie Punch. We'll see you there. And break is over. We are back. Yay. Okay. Um, so one of the things I do want to talk about um, are the adults, but I think before we get to that, let's talk about not necessarily the death scenes because I think they're we've, we've already kind of touched on them, but the funeral scenes okay. which are probably some of the funniest scenes in the movie yeah um, which he, he the the guy who plays the priest does a pretty good job pastor pr- pr- preacher whatever you want to call it yeah yeah well he was otho in beetlejuice right um but the whole irony of the thing is the way that veronica forges their suicide notes is um, basically makes these people who were not the greatest that people didn't like um, people that get revered in their death. Right. Um, Which is kind of a fallacy to, you know, people who, who do have suicidal ideation. Right. Okay. Um, You know, that their death is going to show whoever or yeah make I'll show you <laughs> I'll kill myself no if you're yeah. going to show them kill them <laughs> no <laughs> neither don't do it no no either um pick up the phone and call a hotline 
Um, like a Gamblers Anonymous? No, Suicide Hotline. Okay. Um, but I, I, and I think that they intentionally really try to make these because uh, the funeral. There's some of the lines in the funeral scenes are just hysterical. Because um, first you get this, um, you know, kind of leading into the clueless adults. You get the pastor who's trying to be hip and relevant at Heather Chandler's funeral, who says that he does not blame Heather for killing herself, but a society that tells our kids that the answers to life can be found in the MTV video games. I played the hell. Out, out of, of some video games. Out of the MTV, MTV video oh, game? Sh- yeah. <laughs> I remember I remember camping out camping out at the local um Sears or JCPenney waiting on the new MTV video game. Just like it's coming out in six weeks. All right, I'm here. Yeah, I, I always wanted one. to be JJ Jackson, so Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. He I mean it was there's some clever writing in this. There's some clever. Yeah. There's some clever jokes. I, I I I will give him credit. Um, you know I don't think I don't think that this is one of those movies that struggles or suffers because the script or the writing is so horrible. Right. I don't, right. I don't think anything is horrible. I just don't think. I just think it took a lot of swings and some of them a, a lot of them missed as well. Yeah. I think, but yeah. That, there's there's a good little bit too at at um Heather Chandler's funeral uh, in which each of the remaining members of the clique um have time in front of her coffin. Um, and of course, Veronica is, you know, trying to kind of bargain with God that this wasn't really, you know, <laughs> she didn't do it intentionally and all that. But the the best one is, um, Heather Duke, who has been the most abused by Heather Chandler, um, saying, is praying to God and saying, you know, I, I've prayed for Han- Heather Chandler's death many times and I'm paraphrasing here and, and each time. I felt guilty about it, but I kept doing it. And now I know God. You understood. And she smiles. And it's... <laughs> it's Definitely weird. Yeah, because one of the things that you've got here is this, this very um, contrast between how the teens are handling it. Because no one seems very broken up over it. It's a very weird reaction. It's very weird. Like, yeah. They want they, they they the the guidance counselor or whatever she is, you know, mimeographs uh Red Heather's suicide note and gives it to the whole school. Right. And they're analyzing it and they're like, Oh, oh yeah, oh well, and the, the only <laughs> person that really has any interaction or reaction at all is Veronica and she laughs. She and does. They give her shit for it. Well, they also had the like the yearbook nerd too, who was like, Well, we used to date a long time ago. And now I know that when she broke up with me, it wasn't because I was boring. It was she, she was up. She was depressed. Oh, that's right. right? He so he was like making himself feel better that he got rejected. Um, but I listened to um, an episode of uh, I think it's called Popcorn Psychology Today. So it's a, a talking about this, and it's all it was all licensed social workers talking about this movie. Um, some of them work in various capacities in mental health. Um, some of them with kids. And one of them basically said everything the guidance counselor does here, even though well-intentioned, is wrong. Is okay. is not how you handle this thing. 
right? You Oh, no shit. No, you don't have a mass group, right? You maybe pull the people who are closest to her and try to get them counseling. You don't play this up. Cuz in yeah. in this world, in this mm-hmm. world, not not the world we live in, in Heather's world, they would have had a situation where there would have been people that were glad she was dead because that's the way people were in this world. Mm-hmm. They would have been like, oh, you know, Martha Martha would have been like, fuck her. Right. She was mean to me. Right. Good- and- goodbye. So it, it wouldn't have been a time of kumbaya all over the place. No, no. And actually, one of the counselors said that, you know, they were in a very similar situation. And basically what they did is they brought some outside counselors in because even the school counselors could come across as being biased because they do have, you know, it's the nature of the beast. Right. It's the students, you know, there's some people who are going to have a better relationship with a guidance counselor than others. Um, so they, would br- they brought people in um, and basically said, if you need them, they are here. And here are the hours they are here. So people could go and then maybe, you know, have what they felt was maybe a, an unbiased ear right. to listen if it did upset them. Because even though you don't know somebody, it, it could, somebody who, who was maybe also having a hard time, um, you know, could, could do this. But the, what she does is completely, I mean, she, it's completely born out of narcissism, right? She brings in the TVs and she brings in... Uh, the TVs, the TV cameras, <laughs> the TV cameras, the news stations. She brings it. Yeah, she t- tries to get some media. It's <laughs> just bringing in TVs. <laughs> I'm okay with it. A couple Walkmans. Yeah, I'm yeah. Good with it. <laughs> Refrigerator. Um, but that's something that you know we, we kind of talk about this, and then with with Kurt and Ram, right? These are these guys were jerks, right? They yep. were just you know didn't care no empathy taking what they want and now you know through veronica's writing these guys have a everybody's looking at them differently right because they were just outcasts and they had this secret love they were harboring for each other and you know one of the best lines from the dad as i love my dead gay son yep i i thought that their death scene was ridiculous I thought, I, I oh, thought yeah, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was very stupid. Oh, talk about clueless adults. That's yeah, a, I mean, that's a that, big one. That I, I almost feel like they got done with this movie and the producers went, you know what? We need something funny, over the top, that people are going to laugh at because they might not be smart enough to laugh at these other jokes because it was just, it was, it was just, it was ridiculous the way the two cops acted, the the things that they said, the. The way that he chased one down a half a mile and he turns around and runs back right to where it, it just, it was very, very, it it was almost like a Benny Hill skit. They should have, if you took that and muted it and played that song, you'd laugh during that scene. But it, but I, they, those two guys were definitely complete jerks for sure. So, yeah, I mean, they, they basically, um, you know, the humor in it is, you know, everybody, again, is so willing to believe um, just by the few pieces of evidence that they had laying around, which was the note. Um, and then a few artifacts like a gay porno mag and, you know, some Who, who mineral- was the postcard from, of? Oh, I can't remember. what. Uh, L, 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 L,
uh, like a 40s or 50s actress, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, um, Faye Dunaway? No. 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 Linda um, Lovelace? No. Who played? Faye Dunaway played her Mommy Dearest, was it? Oh, okay. Oh, I can't think. Yeah. yeah. I can't but think. But the one, the one that convinced the police officer that it was a suicide and that there was a gay suicide was the mineral water. A bottle of Ev- Evian. <laughs> All right, yeah. then. Yeah. You know, just... But even when they get to the, you know, because it's, again, it's kind of stupid and maybe that's just part of the satire. They, they, one of the cops gets to the scene of the crime, sees the gun, picks up the gun with a stick, and then handles it with his hand. Yeah. Right? So completely not the way you would do things. Ever. But again, we've got this. these, all the adults just seem totally incompetent in this movie um and and that's probably by design like you look at veronica's parents who are you got a mother that's kind of i wouldn't say she was cold but she was very she was very cut off from emotions too i i feel like i feel like she was kind of like uh, the mom that we deal with that we would deal with in the seventies, like you were talking about. She was like, wasn't re- kind of. Let's let's take all the icky things and put them aside. Yeah, we don't need not, to talk about those and, and not handle them. And maybe not as important in the family as she should be because the dad is the one that's in charge, but also that the dad loved her. You know, you know what I mean. It wasn't like it was a, a bad situation, right? Right. And it seemed like Veronica had an, an interesting relationship with her dad in that that you know she was you know, able to kind of joke with him, but kind of put him down in the process. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Her, she, she might've had my favorite line in the movie. The mother. Yes. Oh yeah. Because there's a point where, um, and this, I think this is after Kurt and Ram die, um, where they, they've got the televised for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it loving a feeling. um, where they've got the the guidance counselor getting everybody just to to get in touch with their feelings and um Veronica knowing better because she know she knows the truth is pissed off that this person is using this thing to be opportunistic and that everybody's buying into it agreed and so she turns off the TV and her parents get upset and she starts yelling at them, um, saying that we're being treated like little kids and being, I don't remember the exact line, but she says says that. And then she says, or patronize like bunny rabbits. <laughs> yeah. To which the father promptly says, I don't patronize bunny rabbits. I'm referring to when she finds yeah. her, have, have, has hung herself. Oh. I, sh- I should have <laughs> let you get that job at the mall. <laughs> that's that's what you're thinking of you walk into your bedroom yeah. you see your only daughter hanging by her neck and she says i should have let you get that job it was just that was the, the only bit of parenting wisdom we hear is from the mother because when after veronica has her little fit she's like what do you think being an adult is you think we play doubles tennis all day you know yeah. when 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 kids complain that they want to be treated like adults it's usually because we are treating you like an adult yeah no shit and i think that her parents tended to treat her like an adult they didn't really in you know kind of give her limits right she even even after she pretends to kill herself and maybe it's because the mother is in such a shock that she just takes off 
right? Instead of the parents yeah. being like, no, we're sitting down, we're talking about this because this is important. Yes, um, I agree. Even a- and when after Red Heather dies, you don't see the parents. They're like, How's the- how was the first day after, you know, Heather's death? That's all they say. It's not like, how are you feeling? What do you think about this? It was almost like, you know, how was the tennis game yesterday? It's very casual. It, it was. It, it really was. I, I, I said uh, to you when we were discussing this before the show was, I feel like this was filmed in Pawnee because the, <laughs> because the adults are just fucking batshit crazy. Something there's no, in the water. There's, there's no other way to say it. I mean, it was like, literally, it was like, it was like watching an episode of uh, You Heard with Purd. <laughs> that's exactly that's a, it was like well you know um blah 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 oh my god he's right late lady he just said that the sky is purple yeah but but that one time when the sun was going down it was just ridiculousness and kind of kind of took me out of it a little bit i i i i feel like i would have i feel like i would have been more on board with it if it would have been more of a struggle right. for them to have convinced people that it was a suicide. Yeah. Well, I mean, and maybe that's, that's part of the satire too, because when you think about it, like you watch growing up and, and the sitcoms that you watch, the parents were always still so wise. Yes. Right. You, you had um, family ties and the parents being, you know, in touch and very smart and, you know, teaching their kids the lessons that they need to learn. Exactly. Um, Although that at the time this came out, the most popular and, and wisest dad on TV was Bill Cosby. So I'm just going to let that lie. He, I'm going to, I'm not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Um, <laughs> Bill Cosby would. <laughs> hey <Hey-o! laughs> Um. But I also, but in the, at the movie theaters, you were seeing something completely different. And all I can think of is like Better Off Dead, which was like probably the darker of the teen comedies in the eighties. Well, that was what eighty four, eighty four, eighty five. And all there. I can think of is David Ogden, David Ogden Stearns throughout that entire movie, and the mother and all that. And they like the parents just seemed so out of touch. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The parents had no clue the wool that was being pulled over their eyes. So it was such a contrast between, and, and as you got into the 90s, the parents got like more to be objects of disdain. So I think this was just taking that cluelessness that you were seeing in the movies to a totally different level. You want to hear a true story about Ferris Bueller? Okay. Quick, quick side note. Okay, day. My father would not let me watch Ferris Bueller because he thought I would get ideas and try to implement them. More than the more ideas than what, and what than, you were implementing. More than what at I was already time. implementing, yes. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of convincing that had to go on for me to get to watch Ferris Bueller. It was it had been out quite a while. You're right. The, I mean, there's the ridiculousness there, but not it's it's see the Ferris Bueller the Ferris Bueller ridiculousness from the parents is he's pulling the wool over their eyes because he's never really done anything to cause them to give them a reason to not believe him. Right. All right. And it's because he never got caught. Right. And that's why his sister was so angry. Yeah. But he and never, she was right. Yeah. She oh she was dead. <laughs> she was dead dead on dead nuts on. The problem is is that this isn't convincing a couple of your parents that are in love with their kids that have never caught them anything. That this is convincing a whole town 
that these two guys, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And it just it was just it was just too easy. If they if the cops would have been real cops mm-hmm. and said I don't I don't I don't like this. This is fishy. And maybe had started investigating them. Right. And made made a little bit of tension. Right. I know that's probably not what the writer wanted, but that that just took it made it too easy for me. Right. Right. Well, I think that the, and, and here's the thing. Um of the three satires that we've we've done so far, right? So there's network. Uh-huh. Um to some extent there's satire gone girl and this one. Okay. We can go ahead and throw gone girl out. <laughs> what they have in common is the media, right? The media has an influence on things. Yeah. And the I it's no mistake, you know, that they're leveraging the media to kind of take advantage of this strategy. Um, so it does make the rest of the community more susceptible to the idea that this is something that is catching on. The The thing that is, is sad about it and you know, what they try to, to work on is when the two people who do try to commit suicide actually try to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, one is Martha, who tapes a note to her chest and walks out into traffic. Right. Um, and I think it's oddly telling that her her suicide note is not to anyone specific. It just says to the students of Westerberg. Yeah. Um, and... And that gets treated like, oh, it's just one of the unpopular kids trying to emulate the popular kids, which is completely ridiculous. I don't want to say nihilistic because I don't think that's the right term, but you know what I mean. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's very ridiculous. And um, and then you get Heather McNamara, who is by all rights needing of some counseling. For reals. For reals. Um. You know, the the poor thing is very mixed up. Her friend died. She had the date rape, but she she says when she calls into the talk show, the last guy I had sex with killed himself. Yeah. So she does not even seeing this as a violation of her, even though it probably feels like that to her. She's not identifying it. So th- this girl has got some problems. And of course, Heather Duke just sinks her teeth in and basically makes fun of her and that pushes her over the edge to, to try to down some pills. Right. But thankfully for childproof caps, Veronica could get there in time. That's right. So, um, so it is, you know, it's, it's just kind of this whole domino effect. So I think that that's basically what they were doing is, is I think that when things happened, there would be a panic about it. And I remember, like satanic panic, right? Right. Um, think of all the album covers of the late 80s. You had Judas Priest. You had Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these things. I remember my brother having, like, he bought this special album that had the art on the on the actual record, for those of you who remember records. Um and I mean, it was a very demonic-looking thing, and I remember my dad did not want that in the house, right? Just yeah. Because of the the hype around it and all that stuff. So I think that. I'll bet it was. I'll bet it was um, 
Iron Ju- Maiden. I think it was Judas Priest. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. Um that's just basically you know, the things that the, the people were willing to buy that stuff. And this I think this movie is just kind of taking it to the next level for the satire effect. Understood. Okay. So uh the climax of the movie is basically after um, Veronica realizes that she has uh, not really picked the winner when it comes to JD and tries to break up with him. Um, he is trying to get her back on board because now it's time to aim for Heather Duke. And she basically tells him to go pound sand. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not take the breakup well, and he also pushes himself on her. Yep. And uh, he uh, gets to her parents before she gets home um, and plants it in their brain that she is also suicidal, and he is concerned. Um, So she knows what that means, Um, and especially she walks into her room and there's a little doll that's hanging yeah. Um, so she jumps the gun and he gets into the window and she's already looks makes it look like she's hung herself and he takes that as time for his villain exposition. Yep. One million dollars. Uh, and says basically he has um he before this he has uh, gone to Heather Heather Duke or Green Heather, um who is very light green at the time almost white and gives her Heather red scrunchie and says, you need to take her place. And I have this picture of you and Martha Dumpstock, uh, together and I will show it to everyone. Uh, if you don't do this for me and he's basically asking her to have all the students sign a petition, all the students of the high school that, uh, he says is going to get the big fun, the band big fun who has the big hit teenage suicide. Don't do it. Um, to come play at their prom. Uh, what it really is, is a mass suicide letter and he is going to blow up the school the next day. Yeah. So once, uh, he leaves, um, the mother comes up, sees Veronica hanging, and that's when you said that's the best line. <laughs> it's definitely one of the best lines in the movie. For yeah, sure. the mother kind of panics and 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 says that line about, uh, "I should have let you take that job at the mall. I was just afraid of you coming home late." And she is now, um, that's that's her her hero, um, her hero's journey coming to an end. Right, the climax is she's got to stop JD before he blows up the school. Yeah. Which was kind of another stupid scene. I'm sorry. It was um, a little dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's. He it goes, was what it was. He goes to school and tells everybody that she killed herself. And when she shows up, nobody really gives a shit that she's standing there. No one even notices she's there. He's basically told everybody that she killed herself. Yeah. They're in the boiler room underneath the gym. I don't think that's where you put the boiler room. I might, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in, maybe in uh, northern schools it's different. I don't know. Um, 
they're arg- they're fight back and forth. He flips her off. She's never shot a gun before. She shoots his finger off. That's a good shot. Um, I don't know. I just you know, yeah, uh, I mean, it just kind of it kind of left me. It's very wily coyote roadrunner ish. It was a ticking clock situation, literally. Yes, it was. Um. Yeah, I mean that's that was that that was the stakes. As climaxes go, it wasn't too bad. I just it was a little underwhelming for what they had kind of built up to. I I guess I see why they did it. Probably the production budget and special effects, the way they were back then, and everything. But I mean, they they got their point across. They 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 did what they wanted to do. Mm. Um, but once she shoots JD, she walks out, and he walks out of the school. A few minutes later, yeah. Which means he got up pretty quick because he had strapped a bomb on himself. So he had to get the bomb off the pylon and <laughs> Yeah. I mean I guess. Is that yeah. is that what he did? Was he took that bomb? I think he took that bomb. Okay. Yeah. Um because it was the same bomb. Um walks outside and decides that the thing he needs to do is blow himself up. Yep. And that's what happens. Well at at that point he's probably gonna go to jail anyway. So I um uh, okay, you know, and then, then, well, that's not what happens. Then she walks into the school and asks Martha to on prom night to come watch some new releases. So we'll get some new release rentals and eat pop some popcorn because her boyfriend, her date flaked out on her. Right. And then they're, you know, best buddies forever. After she tells um, Heather, dude, she, a, a green, she, green Heather, there's a new sheriff in town. And takes the red power scrunchie yeah. away from her. Yeah. yeah. She's got the, she's got the look from the Ernest movie. I just got blowed up. On her face because it's all her hair's all fucking whipped back and <laughs> she 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 literally in soot. she literally looks like Daffy Duck just got shot in the face with a shotgun. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like to me, and maybe that's what he wanted. But you know, I mean, um, okay, yeah, it it that was not supposed to be the original ending. The original ending was much darker, in which the school gets blown up and then everybody's all happy together in a prom in heaven. Yes. Um, there was also another ending, I think, that was proposed where Martha Dunstock actually stabs Veronica and says, die, Heather. And Heather's like, fuck you. My name's Veronica. Yeah. Um, I'm, my na- I'm, I'm, I'm a Veronica. I'm a Veronica. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is what we got because I think test audiences did not like the fact that it was uh, probably that dark. At yeah, the end. probably. But uh, what there's, a, what a blast. Yeah, literally. <laughs> there's some trivia associated with this movie that's pretty decent. Um, you know, uh, the fact that uh, when Christian Slater channeled his inner Jack, Jack Nicholson, he sent Jack, he sent Jack Nicholson a letter and asked him to, wa- to watch it. And uh, he never heard a letter back. And it's probably because Jack Nicholson was in the movie doing a little something called that little independent film called Batman. Mm, um, yeah, nobody saw that. Yeah, nobody. Um, the people that that they were going to cast in this originally it was going to be Brad. They talked about Brad Pitt, right? And they also talked about uh, Drew, Jim Bar- Ca- Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. And they talked about Jim Carrey being yeah. the the Christian Slater part. Um, and Jennifer Conley was also. Um, they thought they might want her for Veronica. I think it would have been a markedly different film had you had um, Jennifer Conley and Brad Pitt. Yeah, I mean. 
we kind of talked about it. I don't dislike Winona Ryder, but I'm not that guy that says, "Oh shit, Winona Ryder's in a movie. We need to see it." She's mm-hmm. not. She's never been that person that knocked her acting chops. Never knocked me. Never knocked my socks off. They were not amazing in this. They were good. It, there was a couple of parts where I really did not like her. I did not like her at the end when she goes, "There's a new sheriff in town." The way she said that, I'm like, "I Heather, hope my love." I hope, yeah, Heather, my love. I, I really hope they didn't ask her to to be that way, because uh, that's just poor direction. Yeah, I I feel that that's probably going back after all this time. That's the place. That's the place where I felt this film wasn't as strong as I initially had remembered. As was the with, ending? Was the acting. Okay. Um, in it. Because um, you've got a, a very a younger... And, and it's not as though Kristen Slater hadn't been in movies before, right? Um, right. That he was trying to find his style, and I think he just felt that Jack Nicholson was the best fit for this. Um, and I don't think that the, the director nor the screenwriter discouraged him because obviously they had Kubrick on the brain. Yeah, they wanted whatever they could get, whatever they could get, right. they could get. For real. Um, I I also you know had read that the original thought for Veronica was that she wasn't as empathetic as Winona Ryder probably made her out to be. Um, cause she was Renona Ryder. She was kind of a sweetheart at the time. Um, so much so that her agent begged her not to take this on his knees, on his knees. Yes. Um, and she, she pushed for it. Um, I, I'm, you know, and the, uh, some of the other acting just in it just seems very, very uneven and strange. Um, there are some good lines delivered by, you know, actors throughout it. All, but all the characters actually have a couple of good lines. Yeah, the lines are great. The lines are classic. They're acceptable. Um, They're above average. But it's, I don't know. I, I, that's that's kind of how I felt. I think some of that too. Maybe took what the film was trying to say, and and you know, I don't. Maybe it was deliberate by the director and stuff like that. But I think it just it didn't make it come across as well because you were seeing Christian Slater and Winona Ryder. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree. What the. Uh, uh, I don't know what were you going to say. I was going to. I, was, I lost my train of thought there. What were you going to say? Well, I think the one thing in this film, um, you know, we we talked a little bit before about, you know, the way things are framed and, you know, some of the other production values and stuff like that, like the use of the colors, um, not just on the wardrobe of the girls, but, you know, in, in the the settings that surround them, mm-hmm. you know, as far as the color, when you get the main conflict between Veronica and Heather Chandler, um, you get the very strong blue red in the background because there's a, um, there's a fire in the trash can, right? Right. Up against the wall and it's at night and the little pieces like you spoke to before, like the bell jar, right? Because that's, the bell jar lying there on the floor when she takes the header into the glass coffee table is what gives JD the idea that to frame it as a suicide. Right. Um, but there are other things too. Like there's a scene where you have Veronica um, breaking the seal on 
Heather Chandler's locker and you get um, some things in her locker if you if you pan over it where there are very clear things um, if you look close enough like there is a copy of a, a book from 1977 called The Castrated Family um, which was basically a psychologist who is saying that you know kids get damaged when uh, traditional roles aren't adhered to right right that's an older much older take on things mm-hmm. um, she also has um, a couple older uh, cosmopolitans is one from November uh, 1978 um, and one of the articles that they have um, listed on the cover the cover stories is stop being a pansy and a doormat um, tell people what you want um, and then something very similar and on this in the same vein there's like a 1984 um, uh, edition of, of Cosmo as well that has a very similar story about you know, getting ahead and staying ahead and getting what you want and all that stuff. So telling when you look for them, but you're not, you know, if you don't know to look for them, you don't. Right. I'm sure that this movie is probably better on the second or the third walkthrough. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it, there's no doubt in my mind. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the cult classic that it is. Yeah. Um, if, a, if a movie's bad when you watch it the first time, if you watch it the second time and it's not better, then it's not. Right. And I will freely admit that there are lots of movies out there that I did not like the first time I watched. I did not like Anchorman the first time I watched it. I didn't yeah, like, I didn't either. I didn't like, yeah. I didn't like uh, Ace Ventura the first time I watched it. I didn't like Brothers the first time I saw it. I didn't either, which is really bad to say. I'm not sure how those how that got by me. I don't know if it was the situation we were in the night we watched yeah. it or whatnot, but it, we just really didn't laugh that well, hard. Well, I think we just weren't, weren't, weren't prepared for it. I And, you know, it's, it's a toss-up because some people don't like Napoleon Dynamite, but the same thing. I think the first time I watched Napoleon Dynamite, I'm like, what the hell is this? And about the second watch. Napoleon Dynamite's definitely one of them. Yeah. So, um, the one thing that I did take away from this too is um, the feeling of being in a position where you're not being taken seriously. And, and, you know, I know that they're supposed to be teenagers, but I think even more as, as female characters. There's really no one um, in Veronica's life that legitimately treats her like an equal. Okay. Right? JD, um, as charming as he is, you know... He's just using her. Pretends to, yeah, pretends to be on her side, but when she starts pushing back, he tries to exert control over her. Right. Um, The college guy tries to intimidate her uh-huh. and kind of exert control over her um the adults just aren't paying attention and listening right okay um and the isolation in that if you get that with your main character you're pr- that's probably happening throughout right all these teenagers so you kind of feel that way but it's i don't know i i just kind of felt like got that for really for the first time watching this as well Okay. I think that we've uh, delved into that as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's, you you want to talk about box office? Yeah, I can talk about box office because it's really quick. Mm-hmm. This movie did very, 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 very poorly. Mm-hmm. It was released on, as we said, March 31st, 1989. 
Um, opening weekend, it did $177,000. Total domestic release was $1.108 million. So very, very, very poorly. Um, they do not have a number for the budget. Um, it had to have been it had to have been a a cult classic for anybody to know about it because nobody knew about it from watching it in the in the theaters. I, I think it was video. Um, I'm sure it was rentals that I'm that sure it basically was. gave it its life. To be fair, to be fair, this was not a movie that would have done well in the theaters at that time. I don't think I I, I remember what that period time period was. Um, this was not a movie that would have been marketed to uh, any sect of people that really would have gone to see it. Parents wouldn't go see this mm-hmm. because it's, you know, there's a lot of kids that probably wouldn't go see this. Well, this was R-rated as well. Yeah, which is M- made not it a John Hughes film. Right. <laughs> it just, I just don't think, I just don't think it found it, it. It it had the niche that it needed to make money. I've said that word too many times in this show. Well, um, I mean, it's it's very similar, not to interrupt you, but it's very similar to what you're seeing right now with Harley Quinn, right? The Birds of Prey movie. Um, but it's a Birds of Prey is an excellent film. Yeah, it's a very good um, movie. It's very good movie. We encourage you to go see it. Not getting, it's not doing at the box office what it should. It is, and and this is the time too where you've got you know a lot of people that are on certain breaks from school um, across the country. Um, it's an R-rated film. Right, and so the fan base for Harley Quinn, I think there's a a wide range, but a lot of it's going to skew younger. Probably. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's over now. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really? They re-released it in August of 2018 in the United Kingdom, and it only did fifty-five thousand dollars. Wow, and they and they that's got, but it had a different name too. Whatever everybody yeah. everybody knew what Heather's was at that point. Yeah, probably, but it wasn't so it called, wasn't worth seeing. It, it, it wasn't called Heather's. It was called like Lethal Affair or something like that. Oh well, good enough. I yeah. mean, maybe they thought Mel Gibson was in it. <laughs> so I mean, money wise, this didn't do a lot. It was the number one hundred and seventy one movie of of nineteen eighty nine. Number one was Batman. Of course. Yeah. That was that was a monster. It was that was a monster. Yeah, every everybody who was everybody saw Batman. Uh, it, it, it was up against. I mean, that year was Batman, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon Two, Rain Man, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But there is something about this that probably had to do with the fact that it wasn't as successful. Heather's was released on fifty four screens. That's, That's not much. That's low. Ernest Saves Christmas was was released on sixteen hundred and forty screens. Oh God. Driving Miss Daisy <laughs> was released on sixteen hundred and sixty eight screens. Now, to be fair, Driving Miss Daisy made one hundred and six million. Ernest Saves Christmas made twenty eight million. But I think that that says right there that the movie got made, but the production company, which was New World Pictures, who's mm-hmm. that? Yeah, that's that's a that's probably the equivalent of an independent film distributor now. Someone right. that'll get their hands on something like One Cut of the Dead, mm-hmm. um, and they did it. Did there? There, there wasn't a lot of backing. There wasn't a lot of advertising. Fifty-four films is shit. Mm-hmm. That's that's. Think about that. Fifty-four screens. That's one screen per state, right. barely. Right. So, that's probably a lot to do. 
the fact that it is the cult classic that it is mm-hmm. makes it believable that it's a better movie than I think it is. Well, here's one of the reasons I think it kind of got very cultish is um, obviously video rentals, you're bored on a Friday night, you're going to grab the new release. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, is Daniel Waters was very deliberate in his world building in this. And he wanted to create things that were not entirely stuck in the time in which it was made. So even though you've got 80s looks with bigger hair, um, shoulder pads, four days, um, and things like that, um, the style was not... In tune with the times, I think the styles that the Heathers wore kind of caught up um, into the 90s. Okay. Uh, the language that was used, the slang, he deliberately stayed away from what was in the vernacular at the time and created his own. So that's why you're getting what's your damage, um, how very... Um, Good it, job. <laughs> stupid ass, Good stupid job. ass Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, and some of the styling of it just kind of took it into another place in time and, and gave it its own world. And I think that that resonated with people, some of the style okay. of it. Um, and it, it was kind of something that people could get immersed in. It obviously has, because it has been so cult, has kind of garnered a life of its own. Um the musical um, was first developed. The Heather's the musical was first developed in 2010. Um, it made its it had several workshoppings in Los Angeles, um, and then it went into um, co- a concert presentation in New York City, and then finally did get into um, an off Broadway production. Um, and then went to London. So I think the London show closed down about 2018. Um, a completely different take on Heather's as far as the TV show was concerned. Okay. Um, and that's the, the fate of that is kind of up in the air. They haven't exactly canceled it, but they're not exactly talking about going into a second season. Right. Um, so there is some life. Um, when Oda Ryder keeps talking that there will be a sequel. No, there won't. Um, Lehman has denied development of a se- sequel, um, saying that Winona's just been talking about it for years, you know, because she's saying that, that the sequel to Heather's would have Slater coming back as kind of an Obi-Wan character. Yeah, let's, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I, don't I yeah, that. I really don't think so. Like I listened to, I haven't seen a whole lot of the TV show in doing my research for this, but I did listen to the soundtrack of the musical, um, Catchy, um, kind of rock and roll-y kind of... Musicals kind of need to be. Yeah, um, you know, right along with, you know, the musical Mean Girls, to to Mean Girls or to Legally Blonde. Um, The only thing that I really had kind of an issue with um, in listening to the soundtrack is they definitely make J.D. a lot more of a... They romanticize him a lot more instead of showing him as something to be feared. Okay. Um, which I think they do a, a better job in the movie of showing you just how dangerous he is. Okay. So, 
but it's it does it does it takes on a life um it is kind of disturbing though because you know when they do do a musical um that they where you make money um is in publishing of the book and the music right and and basically licensing it out to other theaters so they can produce it you know on a smaller scale um and what they'll normally do is take the book and the music and license that. But then they'll also make edits so you can then do high school productions, right? So they can take a, some of the more objectionable stuff out so right. teens and, and, and schools can do it. Um, this is hugely popular in high schools. Why wouldn't it be? Um, yeah, it wouldn't be. But I also think it just kind of it takes a lot of the satire out from what I've, what I've heard. So, and the biting commentary. So this is more like, it makes the Heathers look a lot cooler. <laughs> um, so that's, that's my only, my only take on that. Okay. Soundtrack's still pretty good though. I haven't heard it. I won't. All right. <laughs> so. Does Ozzy sing on it? No. Then I'm not going to hear it. No, he doesn't. Uh-huh. The Heathers do get a kick-ass villain song, as do Ram and Kurt. Yes. They get their rapey song. Um. <laughs> okay. Cool. And then there is a rousing gospel edition of My Dead Gay Son. I don't know why there wouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like it's a, a no-brainer to me. Uh, so let's move on to, uh, questions. Do you, do you have questions? I have a couple. Go ahead. Um, there is a scene, um, when Heather is lurking around the halls, trying to figure out what the hell JD is doing and where he's putting the bombs. And so she's kind of sneaking around the hallways in between classes and the bell rings and everybody's heading in one direction. So she kind of talks to one of the, the other students and asks what's going on. And he's like, oh, well, you know, pep rally, everybody's going to be down there. And he's got this look on his face while he's talking to her. It's very weird. When she asks him where the boiler room is. Yeah. She, well, she asks, yeah. She, well, she asks him what's under the gym and he says the boiler room. And she's like, oh, that's it. He's got this look on his face. And I'm like, what is that about? Yeah, I don't I know if that's bad maybe, acting. Or, maybe he was pooping his pants at the time. I, I don't know. Maybe. Um, all I can think of are, are two things. Okay. One is um, there is a scene in the movie after Heather Chandler dies and that um, Veronica and the other two Heathers are in the locker room talking about Heather Chandler and Heather McNamara gives her um, Heather Chandler swatch. And it hits... Veronica in a way, obviously, because she's feeling some guilt about it. So she walks fully dressed into the showers and just turns on the water. Okay. And this this scene was supposed to have had a, an ending where it trails away and goes to a hole in the wall, much like Porky's, where there is a guy looking in and they're kind of looking at each other going like, what the hell is this? So I don't know if that was supposed to be that guy. Okay. And they Maybe. just cut it? Maybe. Or it's supposed to be that he's thinking that she's maybe going to suggest they go down to the boiler room together. 
Either one is acceptable. I'll allow it. Okay. Other question is, um, in the movie, we meet JD's dad, who is uber creepy. Yeah, it's weird. Um, he makes his living destroying buildings with dynamite and other fun explosives. Okay. And um, you learn throughout the next couple scenes that JD's mom committed suicide by walking into a building his dad was going to blow up minutes before it blew up and wave goodbye to him. Did you get the feeling that the dad knew? Yes, I get the feeling the dad killed her. Yeah. And that he knew, that JD knew. That's why he said it the way he said it. Yeah, it's very... That's not a question, that's a statement. <laughs> well, no, I asked you if you felt that way. That's my question. Oh, no, me feeling away is a statement. Oh. Sorry. That's okay. I'll be more specific next yeah, time. Yeah, jeez. God. God. No, I think that I, I, I think his dad was a psycho that probably killed people too, and that's where JD got it from that he could just do whatever he wanted because his dad got away with it, so he would. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That, that that was very that was very weird interaction between them. I don't know what he was trying to get at there, but I didn't like it to be uh, honest with you. Well, I think they were getting at was you know once when the nurturing element of that. Com- that that family unit was gone. They basically switched roles, right? But, but not all the time. Sometimes he called him dad. Sometimes he called him son. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what it was, and I I don't care because I didn't like it. So I'll be yeah, it was good very it. unsettling. Very unsettling. I don't have any questions. None. None. Okay. It just there's nothing. There's nothing that I would ha- that I would bother to need to know because. They didn't, there was no procedural holes in this one. Wow. Okay. I mean, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to suspend disbelief here because, because the type of movie it is. So, I mean, the only, the only thing that you could ask questions about were, were why did he act like this or why did he act like that? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The, the motivation for the characters was there where, where I think, I think I'm good. There's nothing that really, there's nothing that really triggered what the fuck is that? <laughs> other than other than maybe the fact that where is this 16-year-old getting all these guns from? Right. You, you don't have questions about the monocle? <laughs> no, not really. I think they were just being silly. Yeah, that's just kind of that quirky style yeah. that probably came off of, you know, her exposure to Tim Burton. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Okay. So the question would be for me to ask you. Would you watch this again? Uh, maybe if we want, if you wanted to watch it again, because to see what I missed or to mm-hmm. maybe let it sink in better, I'm not going to run out and buy it, and I'm not going to put it on for background noise. It's not. It didn't entertain me enough to do that. No, I. I if you wanted to watch it again, yeah, sure, I'll watch it. If you go, again, if I go to somebody's house, and they're like, "Hey, let's watch Heather's." Okay, <laughs> you know, whatever. But no, I'm not going to sit down on a Thursday night and watch this. Okay, can you find things to appreciate about it? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, right. I mean it wasn't it wasn't a pile of garbage. This is this was your first swing and a miss for me. Okay. Most of the stuff that we you've had me watch, I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I I didn't. Yeah, I, I I get it. I get it. I, I talking about it helps me understand it more. Mm-hmm. But it just it it just didn't do it for me. Yeah, I mean I, I thought it was important to kind of 
see anyway and at least go back and look at it because it does get um you know beyond its cult status a lot of people see um how it's influenced other films and and other cultural elements down the line yeah um you know the they some of the some of the style as far as the plaids and the the colors and and the big jackets and stuff like that you can kind of see in clueless and um 1999 about 10 years later they did jawbreaker again another movie dark movie about you know a click in high school where somebody dies mm. um and people are trying to cover it up and um and then they they always call this the precursor to mean girls too um mean girls is not as dark no. um but it does have some influence so mean girls is more realistic um yes there's nobody running around with a fucking bomb in mean girls no okay. but there is somebody that gets hit, hit by a bus so um fucking happens every day <laughs> and there are some kind of fantasy sequences in in mean girls as well um but i i can see some of the corollary but not you know in the influence but it's not a not as much as as you see in jawbreaker so. right so i just thought it was uh, would be important no, one to no do. i'm not i'm not angry i watched it mm-hmm. i mean it's not velocipaster oh there's there is no equal to <laughs> i'm kidding I, en- I, I enjoyed velocipaster let me <laughs> let me think uh oh it's no it's not the great white hype there you go i have not seen that you know ne- don't 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 okay gouge your eyes out first with oh. a hot spoon <laughs> that movie was hot hot ass garbage it's not knowing um <laughs> you know what knowing might have been better than the great white hype that's bad wow that's saying a lot whoa what was that that was your stomach oh goodness what, um what were your three favorite moments my three favorite moments um i have there's a lot in here so let me try to, to pull one. I like the the moment with Heather Duke at the funeral. Okay. Um, you know, she's not the most likable character in this whole bunch, even though she is abused a little bit. Um, but that's a, just a nice little funny moment. I like um, the line where she's, uh, we've got Veronica kind of madly scribbling in her diary um, that she says her teen angst has a body count. That's a good line. Uh, and I would think that this, the... Mm, I, I was, Maybe start writing these down. Yeah, I know. I, I've kind of switched <laughs> them Every out. Every fucking week. <laughs> Jeez. Well, it, it helps. Don't need to bully me. I'm not bullying you. I'm just making a suggestion. What's your damage? Get a job. <laughs> Um, I do like the the mother um, when she walks in on Veronica to the just the it's it's dark and it, it's a little sad um, how she just kind of goes there right yeah I mean people say lots of stupid things um, not stupid um, things that don't make sense when they're in shock right so I guess you can't blame her but it is a pretty funny line. It is. Uh, that's one of mine. Is that moment? Uh, I also like the the line about the the rabbits that the father <laughs> makes. I don't that's patronize good. bunny I don't pa- rabbits. Yeah. My favorite line though is when he comes to the room to kill her and says, "I loved you. I was coming here to kill you, but I loved you." Yeah, 
in, in his, his best a, Jack Nicholson, yeah. There's a lot of good one-liners in this movie, and those are the things I can appreciate. The writing is decent. The, the writing is, I mean, the writing's above average. It's better than Saving Silverman. You know what I mean? And, I'm mm. not, and I, that's not me. I'm not shitting on those movies when I say that. I mean, but one of the things that does kind of stand out in this is the writing. The right, the writing and the lines and the and the quirkiness. I, I I give it a lot of credit. There's some things that ruin it for me. I mean, you know, like if I had to give it a star rating, I'd probably be right out of five out of ten. It's just a, it's 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 there. It's there. It's a pre. I could appreciate it. I'm I'm not I'm not going to yeah. tell everybody that I've met that I that they have to watch that. Yeah, I so. think that there are parts of it that are better than others, but it's not a. You're right. It's not a, a two thumbs up situation. It's there are parts of this that probably got a little bit more focus on as far as the script, you know, and some of the, the production elements. Um, some of it is just uneven uh, in a younger cast. But yep. All right. So as we bid adieu to Heather's. Mm-hmm. Bye, uh, Heather's. I hold my breath after I ask this question. What are you going to make me watch? Why? Because I make you watch shit? <laughs> <laughs> I like the weeks when I pick the movie. <laughs> That's not true. I know. Um, I, some, I'm just, I, there's some things that I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to eventually have to watch and I, I'm just going to have to all right, lean, I'll lean into it. I'll tell you what, what, what are those? What are those that you think that you're going to have to watch that you're going to have to lean into? Uh, the Expendables. You're going to like it. I'm yeah, I'm probably, but you know, it's, um, it's a fun movie. Yeah, um, you're probably going to make me watch Saving Private Ryan, and and I don't know why I'm ad- adverse to that. I'm just war movies just aren't my thing. Well, they're, yeah. they're not your thing because they're not your thing. You, you right, right. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, I'm going to have you watch uh, a movie that won Best Picture. Best Picture. Yeah. But also, these type of movie are not your thing because it's a Western. It's not. Oh, I was going to say it's not Crash, is it? No. (laughs) Neither of us will be watching that because we will blow up the boiler room before we watch that (laughs) piece of shit. Um, We're going to watch Unforgiven. Oh, okay. All right. Little Gene Hickman. I know that you have an aversion to Clint Eastwood. But this I, movie is off the fucking chain. I don't have a version to Clint Eastwood, and it my my when my dad was younger, he bore a, a very strong resemblance to Clint Eastwood, and I did try to watch Unforgiven. I think I got about I don't know if I got halfway through with it or not. It was a while ago. Do you want to watch something different then? No, 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 no. Um, th- I just had a, I just had an issue because there was a, a part where um, Clint uh, Clint's character was a, a little vulnerable, and I you just felt that something bad was going to happen to him, and that's that's my version to a lot of the the more recent um, Clint Eastwood movies. It's you just I don't want something. It's like I, you you don't want to see something bad happen to the dog. I don't want to see something bad happen to Clint Eastwood just because of that. But I honestly think he only dies in one movie that he's in, and that's Gran Torino. I think I've never seen it. I haven't gotten to see it because I've never watched it because you didn't want to watch it. Right. But I think literally that's the only movie that he dies in. You yeah. might he might get shot, but you know what? Right. It, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Yeah. I well I turned off in frame, but, but to be fair. Okay. Um, I was, I was kind of going through a hard time at that, that too. So it might've been just a tad bit 
All right. Oversensitive to it. So well, I you got you got uh, Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman and Gene Hackman. Yeah, Gene. I like Gene Hackman. Yeah, I do. And he's good in this. Oh, I'm Boy, sure. Boy, is he a prick! <laughs> Just a giant infected prick. <laughs> <laughs> having said That's that, a colorful. Phrase. Having said that, you can find well. Yeah, well, is it red, blue, yellow, or green? It's all. It's all. It's all of the above, Doc. Uh, I'm at G Bishop seven two on Twitter. And you can find the show on social media at Honey Watch This on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we also have a Facebook page at Honey You Should Watch This. Uh, you can find me at T5FF underscore Angel on Twitter and on Instagram, marketing underscore Angel. Uh, please uh, be sure um, to tell if you enjoy the show, uh, to tell other people about it, share it, rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Um, we were happy to find out that we have uh, fairly consistently broken into the top 200 in our category on, on Apple. So we're happy about that. And we thank you for listening. And uh, I think that's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. All right. And that's what I appreciate about you. Have a nice Is week. Is that what you appreciate? Yeah. Well, it, yes. Okay. Bye.